well, hey, we're in church. Let's grab our Bible. Let's, let's grab our Bible that we either brought with us or it's on our phone, and let's go to the Old Testament, to the second book of the Bible, to the book of Exodus that we are journeying through uh, in these, these next months. And today we're at chapter 3, starting at verse 11 for week 3 in this message series. Uh, Exodus, again, being the second book of the Bible. It's a word that literally means departure, And we are picking up this morning where we left off last Sunday as we follow the call of Moses. As God came to Moses and called him to be used of God to bring out the the Israelites, the Old Testament people of God, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, up out of the ancient land of of Egypt where they had been enslaved by Egypt's oppressive uh, ruler, Pharaoh, and a, a culture of darkness, really, dominated by false gods who were not giving anybody life, just really stealing it and oppressing them in the process. But before we go to the story, you know, as we often do here uh, at Wellspring on a Sunday morning is, you know, we want to get into some participation. And I want to invite you to consider a question. That question is, have you, in your journey of life, ever been asked to do something you did not feel ready for? Have you ever been asked to do something you didn't feel maybe gifted for or had the ability for, at least in your own, you know, evaluation of yourself? Have you ever been in a situation like that, you know, where someone asked you to do something it just kind of felt was a little maybe beyond you or at the very least, you know, a stretch in terms of what they were asking? Uh, Again, something you didn't feel like you had the skills for or maybe the ability or the confidence or whatever it might have been where you found yourself asking, like, I'm not sure you're asking the right person. I think you may have the wrong idea, you know, in terms of what you're inviting me to. And maybe you were feeling apprehensive. Maybe if you're honest, you're feeling, I felt kind of inadequate. And maybe this was an experience you had a long time ago, which has just stuck with you that you're even remembering now. Or maybe, you know, maybe it was something that you were just asked this, this week. But that's the question that I want to invite you to engage for a moment with the person you came with or the person beside you, or at the very least on your own here. And maybe this happened at work. Maybe it was at home, you know, by your, your spouse or partner. Um, or maybe it was uh, right here at church. Someone came up and, and asked you to do something. And you're like, under the pressure of Pastor Shane, you just felt like you had to say yes. So, so what was it? Did you do it? And how did it go? Just talk amongst yourselves for a moment. I know I never give you enough time, and uh, I try to give you a bit of a runway on that one, and maybe that was a bit of a head-scratcher for you this morning. But here's the reason why I ask you that question as we consider our text for this morning from God's Word. It's because here in our text, God comes to Moses and asks Moses to do something he does not 
feel ready or able to do. And we know that on account of the questions that God, that, sorry, that Moses rebuffs God with as God comes to call Moses to serve him and in a unique way. You know, in week one of this series, we kicked things off a couple of weeks ago. We saw that God is a God who sees. God sees us. He sees you. He sees me. We saw in Exodus chapter one and two, as we recount the story a little bit here, of how God saw the Israelites in their suffering in their enslavement, in their situation of being oppressed under Pharaoh. And it led us to the application point of you and I needing to see that God sees us. No matter how it may look to us, he sees us. And he is always mindful and concerned and there, even if he does not look like it to our own eyes. That's what we saw. And from there, last week in in week two, as we went to the beginning part of this chapter, chapter three, just the first 10 verses, and we looked at the story of Moses encountering with God at the burning bush, we saw that, that before God called Moses, God first revealed himself to Moses. You know, so, I mean, God cares. And he was like, I want Moses to know who it is who's calling him. I'm not just barking orders. I'm revealing myself. And we saw that in that moment of the incredible theophany of the burning bush, God reveals some of his nature to Moses that must have been so, you know, striking to him. And it's striking to us as we even read the account of how God through that burning bush showed Moses that he is a God who is supernatural. He is supernatural and he is holy But even being supernatural and holy, we see through that encounter that God desires to speak to us and be close. That that God wants to be intimate with us and speak to us closely. And we also saw in, in God choosing to use fire to show himself to Moses, how that just foreshadows, you know, the, the fiery God a presence of God's Spirit coming to indwell us in the person and the gift of the Holy Spirit who we receive now through faith in Jesus who comes to dwell in the heart and life of every person who calls upon Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so, you know, one of the things we kicked off this series was saying that everything in the Old Testament, it foreshadows, it points to, it gives us a picture of the spiritual thing that God is doing in the New Testament, you know, through Jesus. And so through the story of Exodus, we have so far seen that God is a God who sees. He sees us. And that God is a God who reveals. He reveals himself to us graciously and out of his concern. And most supremely, He has revealed himself, the New Testament says in the book of Hebrews, in the person of Jesus, because Jesus is God himself in human flesh. The book of Hebrews saying Jesus being the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And Jesus picks up on his divinity in something that we're going to look at today that takes us back to this encounter with Moses And all of that journeying through Exodus is one through three, at least the first chunk of Exodus three, uh, leads us today to see that God is a God who also calls. He not only sees and reveals, but he calls. He calls us to himself. He is calling to you today. He not only calls us to himself because he desires relationship with us and for us to no longer be estranged from him, 
but he calls us to serve him, to participate, to, to be involved in the work of his, his glorious kingdom that Jesus came to establish and break into upon people's lives that will be fully inaugurated at Jesus coming again, the, the New Testament says. But, but God calls us, and he calls us to be a part of what he is doing. But here's the catch. Here's the catch. In ways we often don't feel ready for. <laughs> in ways we don't maybe feel gifted for. In ways we don't feel maybe like, is like I'm the right person for. This is what we see in Moses' journey. And his journey, though many years ago, is very relevant to our journey today. God calls Moses. The question is, how does Moses respond? And that's what I want to look at this morning with you. That's what I need to look at. Because my first response, and perhaps your first response to God calling you to serve him is maybe a little bit like his. You know, as we said last week, there are two great calls of God upon our lives, which I actually just touched on a moment ago. The first being the call to be saved, the call to come out of darkness and into God's glorious and wonderful light through faith in the only one who can lead us to the Father, whom is Jesus. Through faith in Jesus, we are called from death to life. We are called from what was old and our old way of life and our old way of looking at things and our old way of reacting and our old way of being drawn to this, that, and the other to the new thing, to being a new creation on account of having received the very Spirit of God living inside of us who wants to take us on a journey of transformation and sanctification that sometimes takes us to moments of crisis and other moments, just another step in the journey, in that journey being progressive. This is the heart of God for you. This is the, the call of God upon you to be saved. The second great call of God upon your life, as we have said, is to serve. It is to serve him with your life. And you know, he is the only one worth giving your life to. We can give our lives to a lot of things. But my experience tells me, and more importantly, the Word of God reveals that there is nothing else that will give back to you like God himself. He's the only one worthy of serving. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, it says that after a time of revealing himself and, and calling them to himself, Jesus then commissioned his disciples. And this is what he said to them, and by extension, you and I, it's at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. Some of you know these familiar words, but always important for us to revisit them for the call of God upon our lives. Jesus said this, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then Jesus ends that commission with an extraordinary promise, one that God also gives to Moses, as we will see in a moment, where Jesus says this, and I, surely I am with you always to the very end of the, the age. I will be with you in that as you take up my call upon your life in the uniqueness of you that I've created in my image and for such a time as this in the place you find yourself.
You know, if you're a professed believer and follower of Jesus, that great commission is the call of God upon you. It is upon me. It is what God is calling you today to be a part of in greater measure, in greater measure, however he would invite you. But under that, that greater, great commission calling that we have together, we each have you know, a unique calling of God. Again, in the uniqueness of us and our lives, a specific way that perhaps God is calling you, at least in this season, or maybe this week, or maybe even the next 45 minutes to serve him, you know? Some have put it this way. Sometimes that call looks like walking across the room and talking to that person over there. Other times it looks like picking up and moving across the country. Linda and I have done that. Other times it may involve picking up and moving to another country. And Linda and I have been blessed to know some who've done that and probably you as well. But here's the thing, whatever God is calling you to, to serve him in, it's likely going to be outside your comfort zone if it's of him. It's likely going to feel like a bit of a stretch. It's likely going to take you to a place that you wouldn't maybe normally go yourself. Take it from me. (laughs) It may actually be to something that you don't feel you have the ability for, at least in your own estimation of things. You know, that's why I started with the question, have you ever been asked to do something you just didn't feel ready for or maybe had the ability to pull off? Because that was Moses' situation. And we often respond like him. And so how did Moses respond to God's call? You know, in response to God's call upon his life, Moses actually rebuffed God five times with five questions that he sent back to God as God was inviting him to be a part of something that would be significant and eternal. And God was stubborn in his love for Moses saying, listen, I want you in on what I am doing because I love you. And even though you're going to resist me with five successive crazy questions, maybe not that crazy actually when I look at them, but I'm going to lead you into something because I want to share my glory with you. I love you. And so just to remind us, back in chapter 3, verse 10, where we left off, God comes to Moses and says, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. That was Moses' specific calling for his life. How about you? How about you? Do you have a sense of how God has called you? And maybe you do, maybe you don't, that's okay. But what is the shape of God's calling look upon your life thus far? But how does Moses respond? In verse 11, it says, as we pick up the story now, but Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Moses' first question back to God is, really, who am I to do this? Who am I to go to Pharaoh? Who am I to take up such a grand task? And you know, that's actually a a good question, isn't it? It's a good, I mean, that was a big ask. And you know, based on who Moses is and what we know about him thus far, I mean, It's actually not a bad question. I mean, God, who am I to do this? I mean, I know who I am, but who am I to to do this, right? And, you know, it's probably a better response, as one commentator said, than than finally. Finally, God, what took you so long to come and ask? I'm just here ready for you. I'm I'm God's gift to this world, you know. Um, But, you know, Moses says the opposite. He He says, 
Who am I? You know, Moses was a big name in the Bible. Uh, perhaps second to Jesus. Perhaps. A, an imperfect foreshadow of Jesus for us here in the Old Testament as others served that way as well, including David and others, who God used to prepare us for the coming of a true Savior and a true hero, because Moses is not really the hero of this story, as he may be portrayed in movies. God is the hero of this story. It it isn't Moses, and it won't be us. It will be him through us. But the reason why Moses is such a big name in the Bible is not because he was amazing, but because in the words of the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, chapter 12, it says that Moses was, was more humble than anyone else. Part of what attracted God to Moses was that Moses was more humble than, than anyone else. In God's eyes, being big starts by being small being humble. Humility is not about having a bad self-image. It is about having a right understanding of yourself, not having an inflated view of yourself. Moses did not have any, I don't think, grand illusions about who he was probably at this juncture in the journey of his life. He didn't probably know who he was in being given up for adoption in being a Hebrew, but raised in an Egyptian court, but now run away from everyone and married into another family in Midian somewhere. And he was very open, and strikingly so, about his weaknesses, his, his failings. You know, later in our text, he tries to tell God, well, I have an inability to speak well, you know? Um, but even more significantly, you know, when you have killed someone, as Moses had, when he killed the Egyptian who was beating on his people, and that went so wrong, and he ran away. You know, that criminal record, it, it, it may have gotten lost in the file folder somewhere, but it doesn't, it doesn't get lost here. But only the blood of Jesus is able to wash us clean and erase those things. And so I'm thinking that, you know, as Moses is asking the question, well, who am I to do this and for you? Um, perhaps those are the things that are coming to his mind, and perhaps there are things in your life that would come to mind that would prompt you to ask maybe a similar question. But what does God say? Let's get to that. What does God say in verse 12? God says, I will be with you. That is his promise. Moses, don't worry about your rap sheet. Don't worry about your weaknesses. What you need to see is that I'm going to be with you in this thing that I'm asking you to do. If we, you know, we might set out to do some things that we're deciding for ourselves, God's presence with us in that situation, carrying us through, I don't know. But in what he's asking of you to do, his promise is to be with you in that. That's for sure. And then God says this, I'll do you one better, Moses. Not only will I be with you, but this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain that you're on right now. You're going to be back at this very place, worshiping me with my people. That's what God says. That's amazing. You know, that's amazing. But notice what God does not say to Moses. He does not give Moses a pep talk. God does, God does not start trying to tell Moses and ask that question, who am I, how great he is. 
How awesome you are, Moses. You can do anything you set your mind to. You're a great guy. You're the best. You got this. You could do this. You could do anything you want to set your mind to. You know, but God doesn't say any of those things. And I, I love the encouragement of those kinds of, of words. But, but God doesn't give Moses a pep talk about being awesome. Instead, he gives Moses the promise that I'll be with you. That's, that's the answer to what Moses sees about himself. In other words, it doesn't matter, Moses, who you are. What really matters in this equation of this task that I'm calling you to is who, am, who I am. I'm with you, and because of that, you'll succeed. And what we see in this dialogue is that God operates in truth. He doesn't operate in flattery. God wants to see that it's not him, but it'll be God working through him. And I think that's what God would have you and I see when he may ask us something that is a bit of a stretch. From him, you will not receive likely a pep talk of how amazing you are, although you're amazing because you've been made in his image. He's not a God of discouragement by any means, but it's, but it's about him working through you amidst your weaknesses even. And then God gives Moses a sign, and it is a a prophetic word of promise, if you will. That's what we would call it in the New Testament because the Holy Spirit gives, brings prophetic words through people at certain times that is sometimes a little outside of our experience, but God speaks prophetically through people, and God spoke prophetically directly to Moses in this, giving him a prophetic promise, saying that on the other side of this, you're going to be back here on this mountain, Horeb, where you have come, where you have met me now, and you're going to be with me, and... Uh, you're going to be with my people, and when you get to this point, you're going to know that this was all real, and it was me, and it was always me. You know, when God gives someone a prophetic word about something that is to occur later in their life, in the future, that has to do with their calling or something that God wants to do in and through them, it's not so they can start planning to try to make it happen. It's, it's so when it does happen, God will be the one to get all the credit because it was something that God had ordained and even told that person in advance would happen. And what is the fruit of all that for someone receiving such a word? The fruit is producing in them an awe and a worship and a wonder at the, the providential, supernatural amazingness of, of God. Humility, profound humility and gratitude that God would, would know my life and set something up and then fulfill it in his strength, tell me in advance, and show me that it was him carrying me all along. Why would the God of the universe pay such attention to me? But in his unfathomable greatness, he does, because he has such an eye for you. But all of us at the same time. And Moses receives this prophetic word of promise. And so... This is the result and the fruit of a predictive prophetic word if you ever are blessed to receive one. Over the years, I've received a couple. They don't happen every day. It's probably a good thing. But one of the words that Lynn and I received is that we'd be back here at this church after a time of being away. And God brought us back in January 2012. And only God could have done that. And I sit here and I scratch my head and I think, wow, God, like, you're so good to assemble us together like this for such a time as this. But whether you get a prophetic word, like Moses did, or not, 
because I only have had a couple. God wants you to know that when you're asking the question, who am I, when you hear him speak to you through his word or a conversation or a prayer time or anything else, he wants you to know it'll be him working through you for this thing that he's asking you to do. Whether it's, you know, starting up a new connect group here at Wellspring, and that's just something you've never thought of or saw yourself doing before. Or it's walking across the room after our gathering today and speaking to someone that you just feel God is prompting you to, to go and encourage in some way. Or it's you hearing God today, even right now, asking you to pick up yourself and, and move to something that's, that's bigger than you ever thought. This is, this is how God can work. You know, here's the second question Moses asked, and we're going to speed it up a little bit, but in the next verse, verse 13, Moses says, suppose I go to the Israelites, okay, God, and say to them, you know, um, the God of your forefathers, he, he sent me to you, and, uh, and then they ask me, what is his name? And I'm like, ah, uh, and what do I tell them, God? This is Moses' basic question. And in that culture in the ancient world, you know, your name was related to who you were. It was to speak of your character and your personality. Names are about telling people who you are. So Moses' question isn't that far off. So he's like, so great. I go there. I tell them. Um, but what if they ask, you know, what's your name? Here's the essence of his second question. His first question is, who am I? His second question is, Okay, God, but who are you? Okay, but who are you? You know? In the burning bush, he's already seen some things about who God is, but there's more to come. This first installment stuff. Here's another way to put what Moses was maybe asking. Can I trust you? Who are you? Can I trust you? We often ask that question, don't we? We know the right answer. Many of us know the right answer in our head. But as someone has said, you know, but how about your choices, your decisions? What answer did those things reflect about that question of feeling whether you can go all in and trust God, you know, on something? But God knows. He knows that's a question we wrestle with. He knows there's a struggle when he's coming to call us out into the deep waters of, of going to a new place with him. He knows we're slow to get him. And to learn to trust him. Just as God was with Moses, we could take great comfort in this story because God has such patience with Moses. So in verse 14, God answers in one of the most studied verses in all of the Bible, where in response God answers to this question, what's your name, God? God says this. He says, I am who I am. Okay? Okay. He says, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. That's kind of an evasive name, isn't it, though? <laughs> I am who I am. It's such an interesting answer and why it's so studied, but what kind of name is that? It, it, I think the best understanding of God's response in giving that peculiar name of I am is because what kind of name for God are you going to come up with that sums up all of who he is? I mean, what word, what term, what title, what name captures the, the essence of the God of the universe? There is no word or name that can do such a thing. And so God says, all right, this is the name. It's I am. It's I am. 
And I feel like it's a working definition of God for us, as in I am the one who's always been. I am the one who's unchanging and constant and exists apart from everything else that you know. I am dependent upon nothing. I was before all things. I am. In other words, who else would you trust? What else doesn't change? Only one. Only one. Even in all of our science, we have seen that the universe is perpetually changing. The one who does not change is the one who made it. I'm the only foundation, God says, you could trust. I am who I am. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. And God fulfills those words in the ministry of Jesus as we now fast forward in the divine account to the New Testament. You know, we're talking like 1,500 years later. When we forward, fast forward in to Jesus in the New Testament, he finds himself being questioned by cynical religious leaders about his divinity. Even after performing miracles, and Moses had seen some miracles quite recently in this conversation. But in answering them, his critics, Jesus says this to them, you know what? You're religious. You know the story of Israel. Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 8. Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day, me show up. He saw it, and he was glad, Jesus said to them. And there, in response, are like, you're not even 50 years old. How is it you saw Abraham and could possibly think what he saw? To which Jesus replied this, before Abraham was born, and yes, this is a loaded statement, I am. I am. In pointing to his divinity, Jesus was giving them the same answer, the same answer. So back to Moses, in the next verse, God adds one more word to that name, and that word is Lord, saying, I am who I am, the Lord, it says in verse 16. Moses asks, who are you? And God answers, I'm the only one trustworthy of making Lord of your life. The only one who can bring you, as it says in verse 17, into a land or a place of milk and honey. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. It's, it's symbolic language. There was probably milk and honey in that land. But milk is the stuff we need, right? And honey are the, the blessings and the joys that make life sweet. And these are the things that God promises for all eternity for those who will embrace him as Lord. Number question number three, Moses still has another one, flipping over to the beginning of chapter four now as we need to land the plane in a moment. But Moses asks, what if the Israelites don't believe me? And what if they don't listen? And so God patiently waits for Moses and he gives him three more miraculous signs. God's already appeared to him in a, a burning bush. But now God takes it a step further and he gets a little bit more personal. And he actually puts things in and around Moses to reveal his power. Not something out there, but I'm going to give you like a firsthand experience with my presence that is miraculous, that will work in and through you. So here we go, Moses. Take your staff. Moses is a shepherd. He takes his staff, daily thing, nothing really that special. And we see that it becomes a serpent. 
God causes it to become a serpent. Moses, God tells Moses to throw it down. God, he does. It becomes a serpent. Why? I don't know, but I speculate this. When we think of all of the photographs of ancient Egypt that we've seen you know, in school and growing up, on the headdress of every pharaoh, sarcophagus or whatever, what do you see at the top? What, what animal do you see at the, at the top? A cobra, a snake, right? What else do we know about a serpent from just the general revelation here of the Bible when we think about the opening chapters of Genesis? There's a particular animal, right, in Genesis chapter 3 that gets a lot of attention. It is the, say it with me, it's the serpent. It's the serpent. So after telling Moses to throw his staff down and it turns into a snake, what does God say? I want you to pick it up. I want you to pick up that thing. You've run away, it says. Pick it up. Don't just pick it up. Pick it up by the tail. That does not sound like sound advice in terms of handling snakes. Let alone, I think just the running away part, probably the best idea. But God says, no, go back. And I want you to just not only pick it up, pick it up by the tail. Amazingly, Moses does. How does he do that? I don't know. God enabled him to do it. What's the message here? Listen, I've got authority and power you know nothing about that is over this evil thing you were about to face and you have suffered from yourself. Next, God says, I'm going to give you another object lesson. Put your hand in your cloak, then take it out. He does. It turns leprous. Come on, God. Like, it, God's like, chill, put it back. Moses puts it back, pulls it out. It's healed, it's healed. You know, in the ancient world, the hand is a symbol of someone's position, vitality, strength. It's the right hand. And God's like, listen, I have authority and power you nothing about. I am able to curse, bless, and heal Anything I choose, anything I choose. Thankfully, God is a God of goodness and justice and character. Here's the third sign he gives to Moses is now take some water. If you don't believe the first two things, I'll give you one more because three is always a great preaching number. So God says to Moses, I got one more thing for you. Pour out some water from the Nile River, the lifeblood of this ancient place called Egypt and pour it on the ground. And in doing so, it turns to blood. And God will do this very thing in breaking the stubborn back of Pharaoh who will not give up God's people. And so Moses sees that God's the one. Moses is given assurances, promises, and even miraculous moments in God answering his questions but Moses still thinks this whole thing is really coming down to him. And so question number four, Moses says this back to God. Pardon your servant, Lord. I know it's getting late in the conversation and the sermon. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since, you've, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Moses tells God 
that he simply doesn't have the abilities or the special giftings for the task that God is asking of him. And I wonder if you've ever thought that. Have you ever told God that? I don't have the giftings, God, or the talents of which you are asking of me. But here's what God says in verse 12. God says, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. And did you know that this is the very thing that Jesus told his disciples in the New Testament? Jesus said, you know, in calling me and taking up my call upon your life, which will not be easy, you're going to have some critics, but I'm going to come to your aid, and I want you to not worry. And here's what I'm going to do for you, Jesus said to them. I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict this is Jesus' promise to his disciples in Luke chapter 21. It is a very echo of the very thing that God speaks to Moses about in his own doubts and fears. Here's the last question, Moses' final question. It's actually not so much a question, but a request. He says, how about someone else? How about someone else, God? You know, um, I hear you and all that other stuff. How about somebody else? And... This is an interesting moment because in this moment it says God becomes angry. God becomes angry. But unlike us, unlike me, God never sins in his anger. Never. Even in God's anger, we see God's mercy in this exchange. In responding to Moses' free will to resist and rebuff God with all of his questions, God chooses to give Moses a concession of sorts. Even though God was jealous for Moses' life to share completely in God's glory, this is something I only wanted you to do, Moses. This is what I had for you. I'm, 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 I'm giving you all the answers to your questions because I so want you to do this because I so love you, and I want you to not miss your life being characterized with things of eternal significance. So I'm hounding you and answering you. And I didn't want anyone else to get part of what I had for you. But okay. Okay, verse 14, God says, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well and he's already on his way to meet you right now. I have an answer for that too, though I didn't really want to give it. You know, God is a, like a loving parent doesn't want any one of us to miss out on being used of him in your life and mine taking on eternal significance and no opportunity being lost he will move on to someone else he will share the thing he was asking you to do with someone else who is there ready to say yes but his desire is for you to be a part of his story and the part that he had always wanted you to play. Let's stand together. Worship team, would you come and help us respond together? I'm gonna do something this morning that I don't normally do as the worship team comes and we just consider our walk with God, our journey with him so far. I suspect that there may be people listening today online or here in this room who have been feeling God's call. 
I suspect there's people in this room that God has been speaking about doing something in service to him for his namesake in the life of another. It may be as small as picking up that phone and calling that person that he's been bringing to mind. It may be taking that first step of getting involved in a certain way here at church. It may be that someone has asked you to help out in some way in serving somewhere and you just haven't got back to them. It may be that for some time now you've been kind of fighting the call of God upon your life. It may be you've been in church a while and you've been hearing all of this stuff and you've never crossed the line of faith consciously. You've never said, Jesus, okay, I'm surrendering my life to you. I'm giving my life to you. I need your saving from all of my sin and I'm asking you to come and be Lord and I need the work of your spirit to come and begin to consume my heart. There are callings that are going out today. I want to pray for our callings this morning. I want to ask you to do the same. But I'm going to ask for one more thing. If you are feeling the call of God to something, small or big, as an act of saying, Lord Jesus, I'm going to step out in faith and uh, find my way into that, please come to the front. Please come to the front during this song. Just come to the front. Stand and have a moment here. The rest of us are singing. And at the end of our song, I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to pray that God would activate that call upon your life to serve Him in whatever capacity He's speaking to you about today. So as the band plays, please come. Just stand. Don't, what, don't worry about what anyone else is going to be thinking. Just do it for him. Do it for him.